Thank you for tuning in to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to a church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. Right now, Collective is fully online, so if you like the podcast, make sure to check us out on Facebook at My Collective Church on Sunday mornings at 9.25 a.m. We would love for you to join us. Stay tuned this summer as we have some big announcements coming up about the future of Collective. Now, let's get into today's message. Hey Collective, I'm excited to be here with you this morning. If we've not had the chance to meet, my name is Austin Hedge. I'm the associate pastor at the Foundry Church in Baltimore. Uh, I've met many of you over the past few years, and I hope to meet many more of you over the next few years as well. Uh, I love your church. I love your your leaders and your team and your staff, and, and I am grateful to share with you today. I grew up in central Illinois in the 1990s, and where I grew up, one of the biggest sports rivalries was between the Chicago Cubs and the St. Louis Cardinals. The Cardinals were kind of like this older sibling. They, they often won, yet their likability uh, was, was much less than the Chicago Cubs. The Chicago Cubs were, were the lovable losers. They were the younger sibling that, that while they had this, this lovability and they were beloved amongst their fan and amongst the United States, they often just couldn't get over the barrier of winning. In my childhood, this this rivalry was at its peak in 1998. Not only because both teams were vying for a playoff bid, but but also because both teams had a a player that year that were trying to win and and get the most home runs and, and to set a record that had stood for decades. The Cardinals had Mark McGuire and the Cubs had Sammy Sosa. And both of these guys were peaking at the right year hitting, hitting uh, crazy amounts of home runs that they had never seen before. I remember being in stores or being at uh, high school football games and hearing over the PA system, uh, not just announcements of what was going on in the games and who was winning the games, but who had hit a home run that night. It was invigorating to, to live in Champaign area around this time. Not long after that uh, season, both of these players that came out were using steroids. This obviously exaggerated, exaggerated how many home runs they hit that season, but it also tattered their ultimate legacies. And as most fan bases do, we did, uh, as Cubs fans, as we did what we wanted to do here, and that was to make justifications for our guy while vilifying the other guy. And the Cardinal fans did the exact same thing. In the Gospel of Matthew, we read an account in chapter 23 of Jesus addressing his followers, the disciples. He warns them of this false leadership that he is seeing amongst this group of Jewish leaders called the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they were Old Testament scholars. They they scrupulously studied the word of God and tried their best to follow it to a T. These leaders were, were trying constantly to trap Jesus and to trick him into showing an inconsistency in his words and his actions, showing some sort of contradiction between he and the Old Testament. Jesus speaks to his followers and he tells them to practice and to observe what the Pharisees are doing, but but do not do what they do. Uh, These people knew their Bible. However, their actions rarely matched the ethos of who God is. And what I want us all to wrestle with today is this question. Where in my life do I live more like a Pharisee than like Christ? Jesus, in the same text, thankfully, gives us seven different uh, issues that he has with the Pharisees that can kind of act as our barometers today. 
Now, now before we look at these seven different issues, I want each one of us to just check our posture. In, in 2020, it is, is so easy to associate this Pharisee label with someone else. It, it's so easy to vilify someone else as a Pharisee, as we do in sports fandom. But, but I want you to listen to these seven issues that Jesus has with the Pharisees and assess yourself. Don't go and connect it to someone else, but look at your own life, at yourself, and ask, where do I see the Pharisee in me? As we dive into uh, this text from Matthew 23, uh, just a quick note that these verses sometimes are referred to as the seven woes, which is a literary concept taken from Jewish literature as a way of pronouncing judgment on a group of people. It's found both biblically in the Old Testament, but it's also found in places like First Enoch, extra biblical sources. The first issue that, that Jesus has with the Pharisees is that the Pharisees are gatekeepers, but Jesus is a shepherd. Matthew 23, 13 through 14 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door on the kingdom of heaven and people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. The first issue that Jesus addresses and identifies in the Pharisees is that they're preventing people from entering into relationship with him. They, they are like unofficial bouncers who are standing at the door, just waiting to slam the door on anyone's face as they closely approach the building. They, they're building a fence around who is in and who is out, and because they believe that they and they alone are the gatekeepers to this kingdom. Uh, this is dangerous. This is dangerous because it puts us in the position where we are the judge and we are the jury, where we become the arbiters of who is in and who is out. In essence, what we are doing is gerrymandering the boundaries of the kingdom of heaven to better serve our purpose. Even, even if this is well-intentioned, it is extremely dangerous. In part, because what we're doing is we're making the kingdom of God look a lot more like us than like God. The kingdom of God then revolves around people who think like me and look like me and act like me and talk like me, yet it excludes people who are ever so slightly different. If we aren't careful, we'll quickly create kingdoms that may exclude people like the disciples, John the Baptist, early Christian writers, or maybe even Jesus himself. If we're creating kingdoms that are quick to exclude these characters because we are gerrymandering them around what we want and what we think, how quickly are we to exclude our neighbors and our friends and our family members and if we are spending all of our time excluding people from being in a relationship with God, what can then be said about how we're spiritually shepherding those within the gates? The second issue that Jesus takes with the Pharisees is that they entrap with lackluster substance, but Jesus offers abundance. Matthew 23, 15 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Jesus here is not criticizing the Pharisees who are trying to convert people. It is what they're trying to convert people to. The Pharisees are aiming to seduce people to their way of thinking as opposed to the way of God. Jesus opposes this so significantly that he refers to their converts as children of hell. So, so when we share the message of who Jesus is, it's important that we are making disciples of Jesus and not disciples of us. Because it's Christ who offers abundance, 
not you and I. There are people who are longing for hope, longing to find substance, and maybe that is you today. And if we allow the Pharisee inside of us to be the one that is displaying Jesus, our response would be a generous gift of our own junk food. It tastes good, and it's been genetically modified so that we'll continue to seek out more and more and more. But there is no substance because it's just junk. When we offer people the chance to be disciples of us and not disciples of Christ, this is what we're offering them. Unfortunately, we seemingly have a predisposition towards desiring this junk in our lives. We seek where there is no substance rather than where there is abundance. The third issue that, the Pharisee, that Jesus finds with the Pharisees is that they practice monocultural exclusivity, whereas Jesus invites the least of thee to his kingdom. Okay, let me summarize uh, these verses in this way because it's a little bit long and we could get caught up a little bit in what's being said here. Basically, what Jesus is confronting in these verses is that the Pharisees are not allowing God's word to be enough. They're adding to it. They lack consistency and they're adding their own narrative to the law. The Pharisees had taken the law from the Old Testament and they had amended their contingencies into how people should follow the law, the enactment of God's law. It's not done through interpretation, but rather for the sake of regulations and systems, trying to keep more people out. They're not trying to, to navigate people towards the word of God. Rather, they're creating this monocultural elitist club that can only be joined if you meet their measures, by the measures that they deem fit. Where, where do we see this today? Where does this meet us? We must be mindful of where we are creating echo chambers in our own lives. We can easily set up uh, systems in our lives where everyone we engage in is the same generation, the same race, the same educational level, political affiliation, gender, etc. When we create these echo chambers, our personal beliefs quickly become inerrant. They become without flaw. There is no challenge or questioning because, uh, again, our beliefs are without flaw. Everyone is agreeing with them. How can we instead surround ourselves with people who will respectably challenge our understandings? How do we strive to invite the least of thee into the kingdom of God rather than perpetually developing this exclusive monocultural elitist clubs that we often find ourselves in? The fourth issue uh, that Jesus takes with the Pharisees is that they major in the minors, but Jesus majors in the majors. It says in verse 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out the gnat, but swallow a camel. So here, Jesus is drawing on the idea of tithing. It, it, this is an Old Testament idea where the Israelites are required to give one-tenth of what they have essentially uh, each year. The Pharisees have been so scrupulously following this law that they are taking one-tenth of all of their herbs and spices. However, the time and the energy that the Pharisees were putting towards personal piety, they grossly neglected justice and mercy and faithfulness, or, or in other words, they have neglected loving God and loving people. 
Jesus is not condemning their practice of zealously tithing, but rather their neglect for other people. Some of us can be so concerned with our own personal piety that we neglect the needs of those around us. Personal piety is important. In fact, Jesus here speaks of this generosity as a compulsion of duty, an expectation in addition to loving others. However, to focus all our effort to count and to sort herbs and spices, how have we neglected our responsibility to love our neighbors? As we meticulously sort out every grain, where have we missed the chance to engage with God? The fifth issue that Jesus takes here with the Pharisees is that they're clean on the outside, but filthy inside. Whereas Jesus is pure. It says in uh, verse 25, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Imagine for a second that this was our approach to doing dishes. That, that when we had a drink, that, that we, we take a drink, we clean the outside, but we leave the last liquid kind of caked on the inside of the cup. If we then place it into the cabinets, that's gross in and of itself. But imagine then grabbing it the next day, taking it down and putting another liquid in this cup. You would be left with a strange concoction that more likely would make you feel sick than anything else. But hey, at least your hands would be clean, Right? We must be aware of how we're perpetuating this hypocritical reality. That This is especially true in our context today with social media, with how we climb the corporate ladder, with how we, uh, how we uh, network with other people, and, and other ways that we just crop out the reality in our lives. These Pharisees are vain and simply care about the reception of others rather than their own inner purity. Where is it okay? Where are we okay perpetuating a superficiality in our spirituality? For many of us, 2020 has magnified areas that we have let the grime build up inside each one of us. Uh, and if this year hasn't exposed that in you, uh, maybe you're running from the realities of where the grime has built up. The sixth issue uh, that Jesus addresses with the Pharisees is that they are whitewashed tombs, whereas Jesus is living, and he's living with scars. It says in verse 27, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which are beautiful on the outside, uh, but, are but are on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Scholars debate this whitewashed tombs and two different illustrations it could be pointing to from the Old Testament. Uh, I think what is most likely here is that it's bringing out the image from Ezekiel 13, where the whitewashed tombs are a beautifying agent covering up the corpse that's inside. New Testament theologian Craig Keener writes, the leader's outward appearance merely provided a veneer for the impurity, hence lawlessness, literally wickedness of their own hearts. If we simply view the Bible as a book of, of rights and wrongs for our lives, but we miss the imprint and leading of God, we're no better than these whitewashed tombs. We have the appearance of having it all together, checking all the boxes, but the transformation of our hearts is lacking. 
The deliverables of being a Christian is an abundant life marked by the fruits of the Spirit, not by rule following. There's an outward respectability, but an inward corruption, which makes me think of Dolores Umbridge from Harry Potter. She, she has this appearance of being, uh, wearing pink and being bright, but inwardly there's this, this corruption. We like to think of ourselves as being brave, like Harry, or, or having the wisdom of Hermione or the loyalty of Ron. But in fact, I think a lot more of us have the hypocrisy evidenced by Dolores Umbridge in Harry Potter. We have the outward respectability, but decay on the inside. Where in our lives are we presenting a sense of outward respectability, but inwardly there is death and decay? The seventh issue uh, that Jesus takes with the Pharisees is that they are descendants of murderers of the prophets. And Jesus is a prophet martyred by the Pharisees. It says in in, uh, verse 29, Woe to you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. This last woe here is pretty intense. It's what Jesus is building to the whole time. Uh, he's telling uh, his disciples that these Pharisees, they, they keep some out, they lead others astray, uh, they create a spirituality that, that looks like them, that, that majors in the minor things. They create this facade on the outside uh, to be one way, but, but the inside is lacking the purity, purity that they portray on the outside. But then he builds to this point where, where he is calling out that the prophets who spoke to your ancestors uh, were murdered and that you disassociate yourself with their actions. A couple weeks ago, a man by the name of, of John Lewis passed away, uh, and he was part of nearly uh, most of the major moments in the 1960s during the civil rights movement. Oftentimes, he was left beaten and bloodied and over 40 times imprisoned, despite choosing a nonviolent approach to protest. I tried to spend a little bit of time learning more about this man and about his legacy because of his passing, and I came across some polling from Gallup polls that pointed to some crazy stats. Uh, In 1960s, it showed that only 22% of Americans approved of the Freedom Riders, and only 28 approved of uh, of the lunch counter sit-ins. So about one-fourth of Americans approved of those actions. Not just that, but in 1966, 63% of Americans disapproved of Martin Luther King Jr., he had an unfavorability rate of 63%. This, this guy that we, we hold up on the pedestal of being uh, the example of the civil rights movement. But in, in 2011, they, Gallup polls asked the same question, and Martin Luther King's unfavorable rating was 4%. I saw this and I thought to myself, how have we done this once again? How have we, we taken a person and our ancestors murdered him and we tried to disassociate ourselves? Because again, 63% of people uh, had an unfavorable view of Martin Luther King in the 60s, whereas 4% just nine years ago. 
In 2020, we all like to think that we would have a, a favorable view of Martin Luther King if we lived in the 60s. We, we like to think that we would have engaged in the civil rights movement. However, statistically, the majority of us wouldn't have got close to the civil rights movement. So the question I have to ask myself, and I, I implore that you also ask yourself, is where am I persecuting people who are acting as God's prophets in our current time? Where, where am I perpetuating the system that ultimately would lead the, the Pharisees to playing a critical role in the crucifixion of Christ? Or maybe think about it this way. What message or messages do I despite so much that I would seek unjustly to oppress the voices perpetuating that message? Uh, this, thus bringing about an injustice to the people who are made in the image of God. Christ himself was sacrificial when he faced oppression, and I hope that we play this same part. Collective, I know that, that this message is difficult, and this message is hard. I, I, I'm aware that some of you may even be upset by some of the harshness of the words found here. It is easy for us to look at someone else and, and to ascribe these attributes and the title of a Pharisee to them. But if we fail to analyze where we have allowed ourselves to be Pharisees, the, for the Pharisee to live within us, we too must be called blind and hypocrites rather than a good and faithful servant. The cross of Christ isn't about justifying actions while vilifying others. It, it is about a continuous obedience towards Christ. It is about a willingness to give up Sometimes what I personally long for or desire to, to live as the Pharisees, though, is to see faith as rules to be followed. But to live as Christ is to bring heaven to earth. It, it doesn't matter your political affiliation, your edu educational level, your socioeconomic group. It doesn't matter if you're watching this and you're a teenager or you're elderly or you're married or you're single. Your responsibility is to bring heaven to earth not enabling a pharisaical living and thinking within ourselves. I believe it is imperative as we do the work of assessing uh, ourselves of where we have allowed the Pharisee to live inside of us, that we also hold on to the hope of Christ. As we wrap up, I want to leave you with this quote from the aforementioned John Lewis. He said in a tweet last year, Do not get lost in the sea of despair. Do not become bitter or hostile. Be hopeful. Be optimistic. Never, ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble. Necessary trouble. We will find a way to make a way out of no way. Hashtag good trouble. Friends, Jesus, Jesus is the key to this. It is Jesus uh, who brings out this hope as we look inward. It is Jesus uh, where we are able to rid ourselves of the bitterness and the hostility and the despair that we see in our world as we evict the Pharisee living inside of us. And it is Jesus who lived a life and died a death marked by good trouble. May we do the good trouble of ridding the Pharisee inside each one of us. Let's pray. God, we, we love you and we thank you for your son and his example on this earth I pray today that, that we examine ourselves, examine where we have lived a life that is more aligned with the Pharisees than aligned with Christ. And may we come out on the other side looking more and more like your son. It's in his name we pray, amen.